Did you know that Delaware has endless discoveries? The first state invites you to explore miles of beaches and boardwalks, dozens of unique breweries, award-winning restaurants, some of the country's best state parks, beautiful garden estates, and even tax-free shopping. There's plenty of fun for the entire family and more. Find trip ideas and all the info you need to plan your Delaware discoveries at visitdelaware.com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Episode 248 of The Bowery Boys. Sitting down with our favorite New Yorker, Roz Chast. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. And today we're in the holiday mood because here we are at the end of the year, at the end of 2017. And we're looking back on a rather, well, in many ways, unusual, mo- <laughs> momentous. Certainly. <laughs> certainly, in most ways. Momentous year. Uh, we've been through a lot on this show <laughs> this year, covered a lot of topics um, from the pirate of New Amsterdam to George Washington's inauguration in New York City. We've done a couple 19th century murder mysteries. A couple, that's right. Yeah, from the early 19th century, and even covered the ghosts of Washington Square Park. Right, that orb, that... <laughs> the miasma. The miasma. <laughs> um, we, we were stuck for three weeks um, in the Roaring Twenties, uh, where we looked at it from every angle, including the nightlife mayor to... Uh, the good times of Prohibition, and then the stock market crash. I think some of our favorite shows this year were our neighborhood shows. Mm. We got to visit Astoria and Long Island City. We got to go to Soho, Fifth Avenue, and many other places. 42nd Street. Don't forget 42nd oh, Street yeah. in the 70s. And don't forget about poor Edgar Allan Poe, Greg. And those formative years and important final years that were spent in New York. We've gotten to go all over New York City. We've had a lot of great guests this year. 28 shows so far in 2017. 28 and counting, that is. (laughs) But today, we're going to wrap up the year with a healthy dose of New York humor. Or more specifically, New Yorker humor. Because... We have the good fortune of being able to sit down with Roz Chast, who has been a star cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine since 1978. Now, if you have if you have any knowledge of the New Yorker at all, then you know Roz Chast because she has such a unique way of dis- illustrating the humor of everyday life in New York. Her characters have this sort of frenetic energy, mm. g- grimaces or little first faces, uh, finding themselves in wacky situations on the streets of New York or inside their apartments. And some of the, the funniest details of Roz's cartoons are sometimes found in the edges of the panel, you know, the, the incidental characters yeah. in her cartoons. She has such a wonderfully distinctive style, whether it be a little cartoon inside of the magazine or a cover that's probably framed in your kitchen or your living room. Now, Roz is also the author uh, or illustrator of more than a dozen books, including the 2016 bestseller, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? And we're sitting down with her because she's out with a new book this year, which is an illustrated handbook to living in New York, which is called Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York. We sat down with Roz to talk about this unique little guidebook to New York and about her experiences growing up in Brooklyn, living on the Upper West Side in the 70s and 80s, and of course, working at The New Yorker. Greg and I sat down with Roz on a snowy afternoon in the West 20s, which turns out one of her favorite neighborhoods of New York, to talk about all of this and more. Let's meet up with Roz.
and here we are sitting down with Roz Chast. Hello, Roz. Hello. It's uh, lovely to see you. Um, you know, we've been uh, great admirers of your work, of your oeuvre for so, for so long. <laughs> um, but we are going to focus our conversation here on your brand new book called Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York. Because there's a lot we could talk about. Oh, trust me. I mean, we might get to some of that at the, at the end. But, you know... What I really liked about this book, especially at this particular time, is that there's a lot of negativity mm-hmm. <laughs> in the world in 2017 in particular, wouldn't you say? I would say it's been a negative year in many ways. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, in particular with New York City, there's a lot of concern about the city's changing. Is the spirit of New York dying? Is that soul dying? You know, conversations of hypergentrification and housing and, and everything. And then... To stumble into a book like this, which has a sort of, it's like a breath of fresh air, because it reminds me that it's still okay to love New York. What were your chief motivations for putting something together like like this in this particular way? Well, the book originally started because I my daughter was going to college in New York. She was going to the School of Visual Arts. And before we lived in Manhattan. I grew up in Brooklyn, lived in Manhattan after college for about 10 years, had one kid moved to Park Slope, second kid moved out to Connecticut. So my children essentially grew up in a very leafy, pretty, sidewalkless suburb in Connecticut. Uh, But she was going to go to school in Manhattan. So before she left for school, I decided I would check up to see how much of just the general layout of Manhattan she was familiar with. And I said, well, it's very, you know, you can't really get too lost in Manhattan. It's laid out like a grid. Uh, And she said, what do you mean? So I got a piece of paper. I said, here's the avenues. Here's the streets. You know, the avenues go up and down. The streets go across. You want to go from 52nd Street to 56th Street, you walk up town four blocks. And she actually said to me, what's a block? (laughs) So that was kind of a little bit of a wake-up call for me that something needed to be done quickly. So I made her... (laughs) I'm sorry, how old was she at that time? She was 18. Okay. So, and we'd been in... I'd taken both of my kids into the city countless times, but still, you know, it's the same way when you're driving, you know, being a driver rather than a passenger, you Mm -hmm. don't really pay that much attention to directions. So I made her this little booklet to take with her to school. And it was just this little pamphlet that I wrote and drew, and it had things like the basic layout of New York City. It had uh, Manhattan specifically. Uh, Fifth Avenue divides the east side from the west side. The numbers are going to start at more or less at one, then they're going to go up as you get towards the rivers, the East River, the Hudson River. That's important to know. Also, the East Side trains, the West Side trains, what the important cross streets were, how you know how to get a metro card, how to hail a taxi. This was before Ubers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, just very basic sort of stuff. And oh, it's also about like finding apartments and, and where the locations of the major museums were and little drawings and stuff. And when at the end of four years, she gave it back to me, And she said, Mom, this was really, really helpful. And it looked like it had been pretty well used. And (laughs) and, uh, I I sent it to my agent, and I said, do you think there's a book here? And she said, oh, definitely. So I started out, it was going to be just a sort of guidebook like that. But as I was putting it together, I realized that I really love New York so much. And the reason I wrote the book for her wasn't just for her own, you know, sense of safety or knowledge. It was also that I love New York so much and I feel like I owe Manhattan so much that I wanted her to love it as much as, as I did. Mm-hmm. And so that's also, you know, part of the book is how much it's a it's a love letter and a thank you letter. Inter- and and that's the subtitle. A yeah. love letter to New York. Right, right. Um so you've divided it up into chapters like the basic layout of Manhattan, walking around, the subway, stuff to do, flora and fauna, right. etc. So you you really expanded that, yeah. that booklet. Yeah, yeah. And, and the way I sort of organized it was, you know, first you have to have a sense of the basic layout. Mm-hmm. And the best way to familiarize yourself with it is to walk around. And the thing about Manhattan that makes it so unusual and so well there's a a number of things but one of the things is that it's really a walking city Mm -hmm. and and it's small and you can walk across it very easily very quickly and and there's always people on the street i mean i've been in other cities in this country and it is just the weirdest thing it's like here is this big city and it's three in the afternoon 
and there are no people around. And it's like, what <laughs> happened here? Mm-hmm. Like, where is everyone? I don't understand it. You know, because in New York, there's always people on the street. I think you even speculate that perhaps there's been a zombie apocalypse. I, you, you don't know, <laughs> yeah. you know? Because it's, it's not for sure, right. So um, my number one favorite thing to do in New York City is just wander, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when is the last time, uh, what did you go on your last wandering through New York, if, um, you, can re- if you can remember? Well, even just today, I was wandering, you know, I, it could be a very short wander. You know, the West mm-hmm. 20s are a great area mm. for wandering because there's still remnants of, you know, the old fabric stores and the old, you know, garment. Flower district. Flower district. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like there, there was some store I passed. It was like just treadmills or something. It was just <laughs> like, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is so weird. Uh, I don't know. You'll find some really strange stores around that area because because of the garment district, they'll just be like a sequins store, yeah, for instance. I love that. I love that so much. Right. Did you see that there's a, an old synagogue that was the millinery synagogue, which I just, I didn't see it in time for the book, but I just discovered it the other day. It was like Sixth Avenue in the West Twenties, or maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like extraordinary. I mean, it's like it's it sh- tells you so much about the history, but it's also it's been there its entire existence, far older than any of oh, us. Yeah. And you probably just saw it for the first time. Yes, right? exactly. And there's this weird guy selling sheets always there in front of it. And oh, you know, I know that place. Yeah, yeah. And there's always a weird crowd of people around him too. Uh-huh. You know, it makes me wonder if it's a plant. You know, I know. it's totally people mysterious. are too excited about those sheets. I know, and also, <laughs> where did the sheets come from? Right. What is the story there? And he always says, "Wow, sheets!" Right, it's, just, it's like five hundred thread count. You yeah. know, like nine ninety nine. And you'd think that people were giving away golden bars well, of chocolate. Yeah, it's infectious. You walk by it, and you're like, "Well, I wasn't planning on buying sheets but today." Everybody but everybody else is excited. <laughs> yes. I know, I know, and it's just sheets. It's just so bizarre. <laughs> but that's new. That's why I like New. York. It's well, just mystery. You know, we asked some of our listeners if they had any questions, and yeah. we got a lot of we got a lot of responses, very enthusiastic questions from people. Okay, including two about neighborhoods. So, okay. uh, Meredith, who lives in Boston now, ex New Yorker, asks what your favorite neighborhood in the city is, and Pat, who now lives in Cleveland, wanted to know when you first moved to the city from Brooklyn, which neighborhood did you move into? And did you have any favorite neighborhood haunts, restaurants, coffee shops, things like that, that might still be around or notable ones that have since that have disappeared? Uh, Well, my favorite neighborhood in New York is the neighborhood that I first moved into when I first came to Manhattan. Perfect. And it's the neighborhood where I have my, as a friend of mine calls it, a pomme de terre. (laughs) Oh, lovely. You have uh, a pomme de terre? I have a pomme de terre. Yes, I do. I do. Uh, In the same neighborhood in the West 70s. I love I love the Upper West Side. That is yeah. my favorite neighborhood. And you know, I think it has changed, but it hasn't changed as much as I thought it might have changed, which is why when I decided I was going to get a little pomme de terre in the city, why I decided to stick with the Upper West Side because it's still sort of it feels very residential to me. It feels still kind of schleppy. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see Oh Hello? Oh, play. yes. Oh, my you gosh. Know? And they call the Upper West Side the coffee breath of neighborhoods. <laughs> I loved that show so much. And there's, like, diners that, I mean, they model their stages on, like, basically a diner where they have, you know, a tuna sandwich. So anyway, there's yeah. a, and you can imagine that diner, there's, like, four million of them on the Upper West yes, Side. Yes, there, there, some of them are going away. But the one mm-hmm. that I remember from when I first came to Manhattan is still there. And I still go there. Which and one it, is that? Utopia. Utopia. <laughs> and it sounds like heaven. It is. It is. If your idea of heaven is like a grilled cheese sandwich with tomato and uh, and a diet coke, then there, there you go. That is um, mine. That is that is. I think that, I had talking that, I had that, Yes, I yeah. had that two days ago with yeah. you, Tom, at a diner. <laughs> at a diner. It's you know. It's you can't go wrong. It's, yeah. So while we're on this subject, because I'm a big diner fanatic too. Yeah. Why do we keep going back to them? Because I know that we've had. Like I have had a couple bad experiences at mm-hmm. a diner. I, I suspect. Perhaps maybe you've had one or two. I have. I have. I mean, one time I actually did a cartoon about this once. There was uh, a, and I can't remember, what was I eating? It was a cockroach. Mm -hmm. And and it was really funny because the guy 
adjusted my check, and he took off like something like $3.50 off the check. <laughs> was it an itemized cockroach? Well, it, it was so specific that like I couldn't figure out like how he arrived at the $3.50 that he would take off you know, for the cockroach. It's, like it's almost had, like there was a standard charge. Yeah, exactly. It's like a price card behind yeah, the register. Yeah, like where it's water like... bug, $7. <laughs> you know, cockroach, three fifty. Silverfish, a rat, we'll just take yeah, off we'll half. Yeah, we'll just take though. off half. Yeah, like I just had no idea what, you know, chart he was consulting, but it was pretty funny. Now, you write about diners in the book. You write yeah. about how you love the fact that you can go there if you want to have French toast at 4 o'clock in the morning. And nobody cares. And mm-hmm. you might not be the only one. Right. I mean, I think that's also one of the things about New York that has not changed. I and mean, there are, of course, there are things that have changed, you know, blah, 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 gentrification, money, you know, horrible, those horrible towers that go up that, you know, nobody lives in or nobody I know ever lives in, mm-hmm. etc. But nobody really cares that much if you like, like to eat breakfast at 4.30 in the morning or dinner or whatever. They just, they don't care. You can go onto the subway wearing like a lizard suit and somebody like look up and like you know whatever it just doesn't matter as long as you know you're not cutting in line in your lizard suit then you know you know there's still uh, rules there's still rules but if you're just kind of like doing your own thing you know you can do whatever you want to do really speaking of water bugs you mentioned water yes bugs. yes yes and you've written about water bugs as well. You kind yes. of explain to your daughter what a water bug yes, is. Yes, yes. She it, doesn't see. She hadn't seen them. No, off no. In suburbia? We don't have water bugs in suburbia. <laughs> yeah. And, and for our listeners, could you explain maybe what a water bug a is? A water bug is kind of like a cockroach on steroids. Although what I have heard is they're not related. They're like really? different. Uh, I always thought like a, a water bug was related to a co- like a it, giant it, it, cockroach. It was a big like a, like a monster, monster cockroach. cockroach yes. But it's they're different branches of the pest tree. Mm-hmm. Um, Terry Gross told me that another name for a water bug is toe biter. So yeah, I know, I know. So a water bug. It's just way bigger than a bug should be, you know? It's just... Yeah. It's uncomfortably large. Uncomfortably large. Like, you don't think that, like, if you stepped on it, you might not kill it, right. you know? And it might make it angry. They're stupid, too. They're Yeah, they're bad. They're just... They fall. Ugh, God. Now, you know, you, they fall yeah. from somewhere on yeah, high. Yeah, yeah, they're You're stupid. doing something. I and was then, shaving once and... Something fell down behind me. It swooped down Ugh. behind me. I almost cut myself. See, I want to give uh. a little shout out to this uh, this menagerie of horror that we're describing here yeah. and give a big shout out to the silverfish, which is my other least favorite bug that is usually in a New York apartment. Yes, yes. Which, what are silverfish? Well, they're, silverfish. They have right? a lot of legs. They have like, they're kind of like a centipede, but like sort of like twisted on LSD almost. Yeah, like it looks yeah. so bizarre and they like. They're sort of like, they scurry and swivel, and they're usually kind of like come with water bugs in certain apartments. They tra- they're traveling companions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my uh, my mom asked me like, oh, do you have a lot of uh, rats and cockroaches in your apartment? I'm like, mom, that is so New York in the 1980s. We're yeah. now into like diseased squirrels, silverfishes, yeah. and water bugs. <laughs> yes, yes. Although, did you, your first apartment, you had, oh. because you write about the importance of a good super. Yes. So I take it you had a good, Super. I had a good super and a good exterminator because I did have a cockroach infestation. And that was really, you know, to kind of come home uh, late one night and turn on the lights in the kitchen. And it was just like there were thousands. <sighs> I mean, it was really quite horrible. I did love that apartment, though. I mean, and where I, we, was that? It was on West 73rd Street. Mm-hmm. But it was this was like I moved in in 1978, moved out by 87. Um, so it was it was not. I had never thought of it as like dangerous, but it was a little scuzzy, you mm-hmm. know. It, scuzzy can be good. Scuzzy can be good. I didn't have a stove. It was fine. I cooked on a hot plate. The wiring was really old, you know, so sometimes like <laughs> the lights would go out. But, you know, I mean, that's as I said to a friend of mine, everybody that I knew, everybody's apartment had a fatal flaw. You know, sure. either it faced, you know, a brick wall or you didn't have closets or... Psychopath next door. Psychopath next door, you know, but your rent was good. So you just kind of tried to stay out of, you know, their way. But 1978. Yes. That would be the same year, correct me if I'm wrong, that you started producing yes. for The New Yorker. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. How did that come about? Um, I was very surprised. I was starting actually selling cartoons to the National Lampoon and the Village Voice. And I thought that if I were really, really lucky, I would get a job at the Village Voice doing cartoons because that's where I thought my cartoons would fit the best 
you know, in. Mm -hmm. And um, my parents subscribed to The New Yorker. I knew they took cartoons. And I just thought, well, you know, they're not going to take anything anyway. So, you know, why not try? So I packed up everything I had and I found out their drop-off day and I dropped off the portfolio, which is about 60 cartoons. And uh, I went back to pick it up the next week and I had sold a cartoon and the art editor, Lee Lorenz, told me to start coming back every week, which is pretty much what I have been doing since then. Wow. Yeah. Told you to come back every week. Every week. And yeah. does, how does that work? So you take your portfolio and you just drop it off? Well, back in the old days, I would go in in person. And with Lee saying to come back, it was like to see him in person. Mm. So that was different from dropping it off. Which was pretty major. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty major. And I, th- I was 23. I think I knew it at the time. But it was just kind of like, this is very surprising. And chances are that this is a fluke. And I will never sell another cartoon. Because I think I tend to be a very pessimistic person. In fact, I still always feel that this is, you know, this is the last time I will ever sell a cartoon. (laughs) Or if I don't sell a cartoon, it's like, well, that's the end of that, you know, because that's just, I'm pessimistic, you know. But now... Even though you've had all these covers. Doesn't matter. Hundreds. Doesn't (laughs) matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. If you are a pessimistic person, you can always take whatever information is given you and interpret it in the worst possible (laughs) way. Um, I'm very, I'm really good at that. Um, Not to brag, you know. Um, But now I don't. I send a PDF, so which mm. a lot of people do. That's kind of most people, I think, do. But in the late seventies and in the eighties, you went. So you were in sure. the apartment f- in the Upper West yeah, Side for how right, long? Right. So you would go from there down to their offices 43rd in Midtown. Did, right. Would you walk? Would you take the subway? I take What's the subway. The, okay. Take the subway, sure. And the shuttle? No, I would usually walk. I would usually walk because it was only like Seventh Avenue. You know, the Seventh oh, yeah. Avenue That's train, and then just walk over to. Back when there was a one and a nine. A nine. Remember the nine? <gasps> I'd forgotten about I used to, the Yeah. Nine. <laughs> I moved here to go to Columbia, and it was always the one nine. I'm oh going to take the one nine. God, That's the nine. right. I Sometimes I say that, nine. like, oh, I'll just hop on the one nine, and people look at me like, the 19? Yeah. who are you? What's that? Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> What's that train? Yeah. I know. Well, like BMT, because that's IRT. when I was, IRT, when I was a kid, that was the BMT, was we were on the BMT line in Brooklyn, and then there was the Independent. And then there was the IRT, something mm-hmm. rapid transit. But mm-hmm. and, and you were in, in Flatbush. Yes, yes. And what was your stop? Newkirk Avenue. Oh, I know that stop. You do? Well, actually. Yeah, isn't that where um, there's like an interesting little shopping? Am I yeah. crazy? There's like a shopping Newkirk center. Plaza. Yeah, Newkirk Plaza. Yes, that um, was my I'm, stop. I'm fascinated by it for some reason. Why it's, it's kind of this little thriving retail mecca in like kind of the midst of just you know, this residential area next to this train stop. Um, yeah. It's fascinating. But yeah, you obviously didn't walk from in the late 70s, early 80s down to there because you would have had to go through, you know, Times Square, all of that area, right? What yeah. was it like, right? I mean... Yeah, but I mean, I did. Yeah. Has that been of, overblown? Well, I think it's kind of it's kind of weird. I think that like, I just got used to it. And mm-hmm. since I had kind of grown up in the city, I mean... I started taking the subway by myself, even though my parents were very overprotective, because how could I not? I would go, by the time I was like 14, I was taking, so I sort of grew up with a lot of caution. You know, my father, I remember him saying, if anybody seems in the least bit not right, you just cross the street. You don't even think about it. Don't think you're going to hurt this person's feelings. Don't even think about it. If you get like a feeling, you just move, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I used to think, oh, my dad is so paranoid, you know? But I think he, in some ways... He was onto something. He was onto something. Yeah, it was just like, be, today, be very cautious. Yeah. So, yeah, there were times when I went down, you know, I had to cross through t- Times Square, but I would just be very cautious, you know? I'd kind of like look around like, oh, this is kind of weird. But I never... I just felt like if you weren't aggressing well, on somebody, they want, you know, nobody was going to really, I don't know, you kind of learned to keep to yourself. Mm-hmm. Also, you'd way. be getting off at 42nd and 7th. Yeah. And walking and to walking 43rd east. between 6th. Yeah. Uh, fifth, between 5th right? and 6th. Between 5th and 6th. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one so, of the nice uh, really uh, reflections that you have in this book, you know, is this idea of, of nostalgia, but like kind of being realistic about it. How like, well, actually, there's some things that I miss, but yeah, I don't miss the crime. I don't miss the dirt right. at oh, all. Oh, absolutely right? true. <laughs> absolutely. Every time when I'm in Grand Central and I can use the ladies room there, 
I can't believe it. I mean, I want to just like shake people online and say, you don't know what it was like. <laughs> you don't understand. It's like Grand Central was really a pit. You would never use the restrooms. I mean, it was disgusting and it looked ugly. So, you know, the nostalgia aspect I think also I'm not a nostalgic person. I have no nostalgia, like from my childhood, I have no nostalgia for, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just not nostalgic, you know. I'm nostalgic, as I said in the book, for cheaper rents. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's sort of sad. But I also have my own theories about that, where I do think that sometimes if you if the only information you have about New York real estate is through the real estate section in the New York Times, you're going to get a very different picture than the reality, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, if you have some expectation that you're going to rent a two-bedroom apartment for like a thousand dollars you're dreaming (laughs) right you know but if you have somewhat realistic expectations i think that they're especially now you know that brooklyn has opened up you know i think people will find apartments Mm -hmm. now you go through grand central a lot obviously because that's where um you commute from there have you been through Penn Station recently. <laughs> that is such a that is such an armpit. That is the most disgusting place. It's awful. I hate Penn Station. Yeah, when you were, yeah. when you were talking, you have about it good coming you know. into Grand Central. Yeah, I know it. I know it. For those of us who regularly go through Penn Station, that with low ceilings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really you're in kind of like a hovel. But you wrote that Grand Central is actually your favorite building yes. in New York. Why is that? Oh. I think for several reasons. First of all, because when I was sort of exiled to the suburbs, uh, and, you know, I mean, I chose to do it. It's a very good place to bring up kids. But whenever I came back to New York, I came in through Grand Central, and it was like, oh, I would just, like, breathe this, like, sigh of relief. And also because I saw it sort of be reborn. And I remember when the ceiling was, like, covered up and before, you know, those constellations were you know, cleaned off where you could see. So it's sort of, you know, it's this very hopeful thing. Also, it almost got torn down. Right. So it's like, here's something... Right after Penn Station. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Here's something where, like, a good thing happened, Mm -hmm. you know, where, like, badness was stopped. And as we know, like, a lot of times, sometimes you just feel like, ugh, you know, the bad people are winning, they keep winning, and when there's, like, a good thing that happens, it's, it's like, oh, my God, I can't even believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, so when you would come into town, let's yeah. talk about that okay. in the sixties. Yeah, come in with with your parents. Yes. Now you said that you'd come in for shows. Yes. and things like that. Yeah. Would you also come in to walk around? No, would- no, no, no. My parents <laughs> were not. They were. I think that, that it it made them nervous. Uh-huh. They were. They were just not daring, exploring sorts of people. I think it made them anxious. And so we would come in for shows and then we'd get back into the subway and go back to Brooklyn. Any shows you remember? <sighs> Let me see. Man of La Mancha. I remember oh, that. Oh, yeah. um, my father taught high school French and Spanish and one of his pupils was uh, Louis Gossett. And so if he oh, was cool. in a play, we mm-hmm. would see him. Um, they liked Rodgers and Hammerstein. So, mm-hmm. we, you know, we saw a lot of musicals. We saw Oklahoma. We saw Carousel. Sometimes it would be at Lincoln Center. They would have a revival of something. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So we would see something like that. And would you then go for a meal afterwards? No, or? no. <laughs> I, you know, they were just, as I said in the book, my mother would mm-hmm. always know somebody who had a bad experience at some restaurant in New York, and she only really trusted her own cooking. And then there was a Chinese restaurant we went to on Coney Island Avenue. And other than that, we almost never ate out. They were, they were just very, I think they, they were nervous. They were very anxious. Yeah. You mentioned that your dad would sometimes, when he went into town, oh, yes. he'd take things with him. He, yes, yes. He would bring <laughs> his, little, his little snacks. He'd bring a little honey cake or he'd bring some graham crackers. You know, the idea of just popping into a, a coffee shop was just not something that they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. And he didn't take bottles of water. Oh, God. No, that was before. <laughs> or sports drinks. <laughs> oh, sports drinks. Yeah, vitamin water. Uh, did you, uh, you're miss- listener? You're missing the face that yeah. just went with that. The, the look uh, of disgust. Yeah. You know, on this kind of the same note, when when you were a kid, did you ever go to Coney Island? Because you were kind of cl- kind of close. Yeah. You could have gone there. I think. Right? Uh, what I remember, we didn't really go on Coney Island. Like we didn't. I did not go on the cyclone with them or anything like that. But I did go on the parachute jump with my father. Believe it or not. <laughs> wow. It was. I think it might have been the year before it closed down, 1964. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was he had never been cuz he had he had gone there with my mother and he was afraid. 
And my mother had been on the parachute jump with her friends. But my father would watch. And then I wanted to go. And she sort of made him go on with me. And I remember we were sort of like <laughs> strapped into the seat. And then they hoist you up this cable to yeah. the very top. And then the chute opens up and you sort of like float down on this cable. But then when you hit the bottom, there's like a spring. And you sort of bounce up. <laughs> and you go. then you float down again. And then you bounce up a little bit less. And then it finally comes to a stop. But it was it was scary. But I knew nothing could happen to me because I was with my dad. You know. Oh yeah. So <laughs> even though your dad is like, he was probably what is, what is this contraption? <laughs> yeah, Get me off. Like, ah. Yeah, he was there probably were... panic stricken. You know, graham crackers flying out of his pocket. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know yeah. if you've been back to Coney Island uh, as of recent. There's a lot. There's, some of the rides there are even far scarier than that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like uh, uh, what do they call those roller coasters? Oh yeah. So just yeah. admire it all from the boardwalk, which is yeah. still there. Yes, yes. Actually, I was out in Brighton Beach not that about two years ago and went swimming and it was amazing mm-hmm. you know just the fact that you can get on the subway and mm-hmm. you know just go out to the ocean and go swimming and then get and, back on the train and experience a little bit of like little russia yeah there. yeah li- <laughs> little odessa <laughs> yeah uh-huh. yeah it's so <laughs> cool you also mentioned that your father would always tell you to carry your token in your hold your token in your hand when you walked into the subway yes yes this is like a major major piece of advice that he gave me. There were two major pieces of advice that he gave me in life. One was that if you're going to the subway, always make sure you have your token in your hand. Of course, now it would be your Metro card, mm-hmm. although that's going away soon, yeah. too, I hear. What's it um, going to be? Uh, I, I don't know, some imprinted thing yeah. on your hand? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, probably some like pod that they sew into <laughs> your hand or something like Black Mirror. And the, and the other thing, there was one was the token, and the other one was, don't neglect your teeth. What? Yeah, that was his other like huh. word. because you might be chosen as Miss Subway. No, I think because like <laughs> because like you have to take care of your teeth. That was like one of his things. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's it's but good true. advice. Yeah, it's, it's very good yeah. advice. Yes, yes. And of course, the other thing I told you about, like you know, if somebody seems a little bit sketchy, you know, mm-hmm. you don't even think about it. You just kind of walk away, just cross the street. Yeah. Get out Do you of miss there. tokens? I did at first. Mm-hmm. Um, they were also a little bit less like there are things about Metro cards that I don't like. Like if you have like two dollars or whatever left on your card, then you don't have enough. And it's then, weird, yeah. And then it's That's just weird like they did that. Oh, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it. I mean, I know I've probably thrown away like a hundred dollars worth of <laughs> yeah. like over the years. And the worst feeling when you you swipe and it goes insufficient fare, and right. you think I don't understand this. I thought I had like four dollars and twenty five cents left on this card. Yeah, you know. So I don't know. I don't understand. It's that word insufficient that just yeah. makes you, How dare you? I know insufficient. I mean, it already won't let you through. It's like another, yeah. it's, you're getting kicked in the shins. I know. I know. You <laughs> idiot. You moron. You just use this card now there's people behind you that are ticked at you because you're a moron (laughs) now uh, on the subject of transportation i want to talk about cars because you didn't drive right when you lived in the whole time you lived in new york i mean i haven't owned a car in like over two decades yeah um but now you do yes i do i do cars are the devil (laughs) they are do you drive into the city ever or is that just too scary too way too scary i drove Mm -hmm. into the city one time and that was Mm-mm. Not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, that was bad. But you learned to drive in the suburbs. Uh, I did learn to drive in the suburbs when I was thirty-eight. How was that? It was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, I took lessons for about a year. Um, <laughs> it was so terrible. I and I still don't like it. Um, I, it's just. But you were with like seventeen-year-olds. Well, well, it wasn't in a class. It was individual lessons, and occasionally I would just like be. I would be too overcome with like terror and I would say I have to go home. I'd be like weeping. (laughs) It was just, yeah, it was awful. It was awful. But I finally did get my license and, but I, but I don't like highways. I don't like passing cars. I don't like changing lanes. That's so stupid. I mean. The only thing worse than driving in New York is parking in New York. Oh, (laughs) yes. That's the worst. I never learned how to parallel park. So there's, there was an issue with that, which is one of the reasons why I can't really drive in New York. Well, we have a lot more to discuss, including some of your favorite characters from your cartoons that have appeared in The New Yorker and a few more questions from our listeners. We'll get to those things right after this. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. 
It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. In the decades before the Civil War, slavery's grip on America tightened. But soon, a diverse group of abolitionists, both black and white, began to construct a clandestine path to freedom for the enslaved. Hosted by Lindsey Graham, Wondry's podcast, American History Tellers, takes you to the events, times, and people that shaped America and Americans, our values, our struggles, and our dreams. In the latest series, American History Tellers explores the Underground Railroad, a covert network of secret routes and safe houses operated by men and women committed to helping enslaved people escape bondage in the South. Fugitive slaves and anyone helping them face terrible violence and even death if caught. But for those brave enough to risk the journey, the Underground Railroad offered a path to the northern states in Canada, where their freedom was assured. Follow American History Tellers on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge this season's American History Tellers, The Underground Railroad, early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. Um, and now we're back, back with Roz Chas, talking about her new book, Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York. I had a question for you. You made me cry with laughter. I was, I was weeping um, with laughter over a certain strip in here because the, the book is made up of advice that is written out in essay form sometimes or one panel illustrations and sometimes comic strips that you put together. And you tell the story of finding a surprise on the sidewalk <laughs> and how that affected the rest of your day. Would you mind talking about that? Yes. Telling that story? Yes. Well, this this happened, um, I was going to have dinner with my daughter and uh, it was this sort of very nice night. It was in November, but it was unseasonably warm. But it was still, you know, it was getting dark early and mm-hmm. the Christmas lights were going. It was just this beautiful night. And I was walking along and I saw something on the sidewalk that was, huh. And it turned out it was a chef's knife in a <laughs> white cardboard sheath. Just sitting there. Just sitting there. And it looked like somebody had bought it and then had dropped it. It looked it was brand new, you know. It just looked like maybe it fell out of the bottom of a bag or something. Uh, how big um, are we talking? Uh, like maybe, well, the blade was probably about this big. It's about a foot and a half. Uh, maybe <laughs> the blade was maybe a foot, and then the handle was maybe like six inches. Yeah, so maybe like a total I of mean, a foot. This is a, such a modern New York story, by the way. In the 1970s, it would have been a different kind of different knife. Different kind of knife. This <laughs> was a chef's knife. Yeah. This was like a cooking knife, and it was a white cardboard Sort of, you know, it was not a fancy knife, Mm -hmm. but it was, you know, somebody had bought it and dropped it. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cool. It looks unused. It's brand new. It's not like covered with blood or something. It's, you know, I'll just like put this in my bag. So I put it in my bag, completely forgot about it, had dinner with my daughter. We shared a bottle of wine. We're like yakking, having this great time. And then we decided, uh, or actually I decided and she went along with it to go up to the top of the Empire State Building um, because we just kind of had some energy and it was this nice night. And Oh, my she, God. Those are the best nights. <laughs> yeah, those are yes. the best uh-huh. night. And, and she had never been there. And I hadn't been there in 
30 years or some insane number of years. And so we go up and, you know, there's security, of course, because now it's, you know, modern era. And you have to put your bag on this, um, you know, x-ray thing like in the airport. And my bag goes through. And then suddenly there's all these people standing around my bag. And this guy comes over and he says, "Uh, excuse me, ma'am, do you have a knife in your bag? And I'm like... You know, oh, well, I have, you know, a little knife on my, you know, Swiss Army knife keychain. And he pulls out this, you know, this chef's this massive knife. massive knife. This massive <laughs> knife. It looks like a prop in a horror film. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, it's still in the in the sheath, you know. Um, I, I don't remember where they drew it in the sheath. I might have, like, taken the sheath off from uh-huh. the drawing. But um, my daughter is just like... Uh, oh you, my god you hadn't told I her had, uh, no I had told her I had told her but like we had both completely <laughs> you know because we yeah. blanked it out you know uh, I mean you know you, you're walking along you find a chef's knife you put it in your bag and then you know you're on to the next thing and it was just very very weird and of course then I started to explain over explain to the guy what were their faces they were, were just like listening to this like kind of weird lady kind of rattle on about like having dinner and forgetting about the knife and you know and then they just said well we're gonna have to confiscate it I think that they knew I wasn't about to like go on a slash you know <laughs> you know fest or they're go or do they call this spree a which spray, I hate right but, I hate but a, spree. Call, a spree like a killing <laughs> spree it's like a like shopping, a shopping spree. like a shopping spree. Like I wasn't going to go. There's also a candy named a spree, so it's all very yeah, confusing. This I hate word. that. I hate that. I hate when they use spree. So, so like I wasn't going to go on it, but they did take it away, and then I never reclaimed it because when you leave, they sort of have you on a on a very specific path when you go up there. You go up this elevator and then you come out like a different part of the building and it was just yeah. like, uh, you know, to hell with it. Well, I think uh, uh, there's something <laughs> in your observation on that, like you, the knife basically went back into the yeah, universe. Yeah, it did. There is, there is something very spiritual about like these random incidents that you have throughout New York, right? Oh, I mean, totally. like I'm always interacting with things where I'm like, you know, you're seeing just a weird diorama or vignette and you're just like, how on earth did this, was this yeah. only for me? Like what, how does the universe happen? Um, Speaking of finding your way around in the city, uh, do you have any memorable moments about getting lost in the city? I mostly get lost in Brooklyn. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Brooklyn is a whole other sort of thing. I mean, even though you're from Brooklyn. Totally. I mean, the thing about Brooklyn is, well, there's a lot of things about Brooklyn. One is that it's just huge, it's way bigger than Manhattan. Manhattan is not that big, which is also why it's so wonderful because it's so incredibly dense. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn is much, much, much bigger and it's more populous and it's very residential. And so you have like all these zillions of neighborhoods. When people talk about Brooklyn and hipsters, it's like it is to laugh. It's like you're talking about a really tiny part of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Williamsburg or Bushwick or, you know, now Bed-Stuy or whatever, Greenpoint. But there's so much else. There's Diker Heights. There's Garretson Beach. There's Mill Basin and Flatlands and mm-hmm. Canarsie. And, you know, it just goes on and on. On and on, Gravesend, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a very interesting neighborhood, Gravesend, actually. But yeah, so you very, get lost. Yeah, you get yes, lost, yes, though. yes, totally. Even though it kind of seems like you wouldn't, because well, the streets. I I think I'm heading north, and then all of a sudden you realize that you've been walking for like half a mile the opposite direction. Oh yeah, Tom, didn't something like this just happen to you? I just got off the subway, Twenty Third Street. It's a very specific oh. feeling, right? Yes, so, yes, yes. I mean, this happened to me in Manhattan. I got yeah. off at Twenty Third and Six. Yeah. Came upstairs. Yes. I must have stepped out on the wrong side, you know, where I don't normally step off. I don't know. But I knew we had to get to the studio, which is just up on 26th Street. And I was walking two blocks and I looked and I realized I was at 21st Street. I had been walking (laughs) down instead of walking up. And you know that feeling when, like, your internal map spins in your head? Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And it's like I almost fell over. Yeah, yes. it almost like made me dizzy because I was yeah. like, whoa, I thought I was going yes. up, but I'm going down and I have to like turn myself around. Yes, I have definitely kinda, had that. Yeah, you kind of turn yourself around, like, yeah. making sure nobody can see, you know. Yeah, I, I think just... I had that happen today. Not when I was coming over <laughs> uh-huh. here, but with some other thing like that, like where I, I thought I was walking east, but I was walking west. And mm-hmm. at least with New York, you can generally, you don't go too far out of your way. I mean, I remember once with my daughter, she was saying, well, how will I know if I'm walking in the wrong direction? I said, well, at a certain point, if you hit the Hudson River, you know 
you have gone too far west. <laughs> if you hit, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you hit a water of water, yes, then yes, you're too far. Yeah, you've, you've gone, gone to an extreme. Yeah, you've gone in the wrong direction. So there's only so far you can go. But like in Brooklyn, you could probably walk for like four miles. It's vast. Yeah. yeah, it's so vast. And there are certain neighborhoods where it just like is kind of the same sort of architecture just for Lots. just for several miles, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes do you ever like go on Google Earth and just like check out? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's fascinating, and it's just sometimes if you like pull up a little bit and it's like, oh my god, it's like this just goes on house after house after house, or you know, you're coming in on the plane and it's like, boy, there's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Can we cycle back for a second though to yeah. your characters yes. and and to your your illustrations? Can we call them cartoons? Yeah, yeah, please. I mean, please. because the New Yorker seems to call them illustrations. They right? call them idea drawings. Idea, idea? Draw- Oh, that's, I yes. like that, actually. Yes. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, that's what they were called. I mean, back in the day, they were called idea drawings. Idea drawings. Yeah. So your look is so specific now, right? Your characters are so specific. I so, yeah. I mean, you see a Roz Chast drawing, and you you know it's a Roz Chast drawing. It, you have a look. Did that look take years to develop? When you started with them in 78, did you already have that sort of look, the characters? Sort of, looking like yeah. They do now? Yeah. I mean, I never really... Somebody told me my handwriting was very distinctive. And I, oh. and I always feel like, no, it's just like a regular handwriting. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, like when you think about your own handwriting, it's yeah. just like... It's your handwriting. It's your handwriting. I mean, that's how I feel about style. You know, it's kind of, this is how I draw. This but the characters, I mean, you know, the faces, the... Yeah, they're like people in my building probably, like when I grew up or where I live now or on the Upper West Side or, you know, they're just like regular. I think of them as like just regular people. Are you, you know? any of those people? I probably am. You're not a specific one, though. No, no, no. I mean, unless it's a specifically autobiographical, Mm -hmm. you know, thing, then yeah. Definitely. There's my favorite illustrations from this book are actually the ones of the tourists because oh. I feel like there's text. Who won't cross the street. Yes. Oh. There's text that says one thing. Yeah. And then the way that you've drawn each of these individual faces then almost like adds another thousand words to it because they're so distinctive. And I'm like, I have stood behind all of these very people yeah. waiting for that. No one's crossing. No one's crossing. <laughs> it is just incredible. But I think that a lot of cities because cars like rule the day mm-hmm. and in in Manhattan like maybe nobody really wants to admit it but like cars do not rule no you know it's a no. kind of it's a fight it's a kind of silent war between everybody mm-hmm. pedestrians bicycles taxis buses cars and we're all fighting it out you know and uh and i think that's actually kind of interesting uh, which is, is such a uh, beautiful and fascinating thing to me is how these drawings, these illustrations can be used um, for comedic effect here. But then, and can't we talk about something more pleasant? They have Your a, last book. The last, yeah. the last book, they, without really doing that much different, it could be a much more serious kind of depiction. Was that hard to uh, make the switch into something so serious? Because you're talking about taking care of your parents as an only child. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it was a story I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. And so that was the hard part was figuring out like how to put it together and how to. But it was just definitely something I wanted to write about because there really, when I was going through it, I felt like there was not a lot written about this. and But that wasn't really why why I did it. I mean, I really did it for myself to remember my parents, mm-hmm. you know, because I had, don't have a great memory. And I knew that if I didn't in some way write about the experience and write about them, I would start to forget it. And I didn't want to forget it. So it was a way of, of in some way cementing it more in time. I mean, we, um, we were just talking about it on, on the way over. It's almost like you've created this with that book, like it just, a language all your own just to be able to speak about that and i mean are, are, have you been surprised by this some of the reactions to that to this particular book you know yeah. since it is because so it personal. was a bestseller yeah. yeah i mean i was totally shocked you know totally totally surprised by mm-hmm. it but i mean i guess uh death of one's parents is something that people if they're born you know they generally go through it <laughs> <laughs> i mean unless they predecease you know their parents mm-hmm. on a lighter but related note um I would wager that your illustrations and your cartoons are scotch-taped to 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of refrigerators <laughs> across the country and around true. the world and, and push pinned into cubicle walls as well. Have you ever gone into somebody's home and seen one of your own cartoons posted to a fridge door or a bathroom wall or something yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's all New Yorker cartoons. I mean, that's one fun thing <laughs> about you know, doing this is that people do respond to, they like people. I love cartoons. I mean, I love them. I love cartoons. I always have loved cartoons since I was a kid. And so, you know, I'm glad to see that it's a, a tradition that's sort of continuing because now there's, you know, so many wonderful young people that still evidently want to do this, which is so fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know? And we had several people write in, several listeners write in with questions for you about, you know, favorite cartoons of theirs that they've posted or things that were made into posters. But people also want to know if you have a favorite character that you put in your cartoons or if there are any reoccurring characters. I think I I like the people that I draw. Uh-huh. Um, I think I don't really have a favorite one. I just kind of like them. They don't have names? No, no, no. Well, that's what I... Even when the, it might be something... and You might be illustrating something kind of like silly or maybe being a little bit sarcastic in it. Everyone's being depicted in uh, with kindness, I think, right? I mean, I don't. There's no. There's never like of all the uh, all of the illustrations I've seen of yours. There's no nothing ever cruel in any of them. I, you know? I hope not. I mean, I really, you know, there's enough people who are cruel. You know, yeah, it's, they're not snarky. I can be. I, I can. I can give the snark. I can definitely give the snark. But like, you know, there's people who are cruel, and I don't kind of. It's not necessary yeah. to put that back out no, into the universe. No, it's I not. Know. It's not. Well, it wasn't quite snarky, but you do warn the the reader in the book to beware of the empty subway car. Oh, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And why is that, Roz? Well, you know, the subway may be very, very crowded, and then you will see an empty subway car, and you'll just think, I must be a genius. Mm-hmm. Nobody has noticed <laughs> this. Right. Yeah, right. I am so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there's a reason. You know, mm-hmm. it's either the air conditioner is not working or the heat is not working or something really unpleasant has happened in there. We don't need to go into any more detail than that. <laughs> See, that's but, where you're not snarky. Yeah, yeah. But you usually don't discover that until, until the doors have closed. Yes, yes, yes. But you try, you, so that's why you don't go into that car. No, you, you just, just, you shouldn't. You know, no, no, there's a reason why it's empty. On occasion, you might try to make it work. You're like, well, okay, I'm just here. I only have to go three stops. I'll just not breathe. Yeah. No, then your clothes, your clothes are going to have like, hey, you smell like a dead body. <laughs> you know? And if it's rush hour, you just think, you know, I can just, yeah. I can hold my breath. Yes, you know, that's for true. For three stops. I only that's have true. three more well, stops. Well, it is a question like, you know, dead body versus not being like, completely crowded versus, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, things you have to weigh out. Another one of my uh, uh, favorite kind of vignettes from the book is is when you talk about how how businesses are stacked upon each (sighs) other when you like, if you really stop and look up at a building, because we just brush by them so quickly, you can see this sort of marvelous like sociology experiment or something that's going goes on yes. with all these different uh, businesses that are on top of each other on like the eighth floor. You yes. Know? Oh, I love that. I love that. Or if you you're doing some, like, I don't know what businesses are in this building here, but mm-hmm. somebody got off at a floor before me, and the doors opened, and it was like all of these giant cardboard cartons, and they were marked like you know boys A to B. B to C, C to D. And I was like, I don't know what what you're sorting in these cartons, you know? But there were like these giant cartons and and I don't I don't know, it was just like a mystery. I kind of do you do you bring a sketch pad with you or do you take down notes when you see something like that or even on the subway? Um, I sometimes like will jot down on my way back to Connecticut, I'll probably jot down a few things that I remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to write down things but like not the carton this, of boys yeah the carton of boys the carton of who knows <laughs> what it was you know Could and you anything. don't um i mean you, you don't like sketch on the subway or anything do you i mean do i you, used do to we... when i was a kid when i was a teenager mm-hmm. um i think sometimes like a teenager you have a little bit more leeway to do stuff like that and also it was a little bit of a different time i mean i went to see the stephen shore exhibit uh at moma yesterday mm-hmm. Stephen Shore, the American photographer. Yes, Stephen mm-hmm. Shore, the American photographer. And he did a lot of street photography at the beginning of his career. So he would take photos with his whatever SLR, single lens reflex camera of like interesting people on the street. But I think now people are very, you know, 
more cautious about taking oh, pictures sure. of strangers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was a time where you think about Robert Frank, you know, the photographer, or Diane Arbus, sure. and, you know, but you don't want to be hit with a lawsuit. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. You also don't really want to be that guy, you know, with his sketch pad obviously right. out on the subway <laughs> who's right. like drawing people sure. next to him. Right. It's one thing to, I mean, I did that as a teenager. I can't, now it's just like, uh-uh. you don't yeah. need to do no, that. No, no, no. You don't need to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, you said earlier that you, you don't consider yourself a uh, nostalgic person. You actually have a small section near the at the end of your a book about this. Would you mind um, maybe reading this short little section for sure. us? Because I, I mean, it's it's a really uh, it's really poignant and and truthful. Um, okay, I try not to freak out every time a favorite restaurant or bookstore closes. I remind myself that life has changed and that life in New York has definitely changed and that it's pointless to get overly sad because the place where you used to buy sketch pads is now a Jamba Juice. I'm not nostalgic for the grittier taxi driver incarnation of New York of the 70s and 80s. I don't miss the muggings, the shootings, the dog poop everywhere, not wanting to use the public restroom at Grand Central, the heroin, the graffiti, the F.U. kind, not the cool kind, AIDS, etc. I do miss the cheaper rents. New York is cleaner now, which is good, but also fancier, and I'm not such a big fan of fanciness. And then finally, you you end the book in like the most perfect way possible for a book like this, which is with the words of E.B. White himself from Here is New York. And then you even discuss Mm -hmm. 9-11. Yeah. Well, how could a person not, I mean, discuss 9-11 since that was such a profound shock, at least for me. But, you know, Here is New York is one of the best books, I think, ever written about New York City by the great E.B. White. And when I came across his writing about the city after World War II, I found this paragraph, which I quoted, which was so incredible because it sort of summed up so much how I felt about what happened um, uh, after 9-11. And he writes, the city, for the first time in its long history, is destructible. A single flight of planes can quickly end this island fantasy, burn the towers, crumble the bridges, turn the underground passages into lethal chambers, cremate millions. All dwellers in cities must live with the stubborn fact of annihilation, but New York has a certain clear priority. In the mind of whatever perverted dreamer might loose the lightning, New York must hold a steady, irresistible charm. And he wrote this in like 1946. Mm. So it's, it's, it's slightly eerie but hopeful. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's kind of knowing what we know that New York is a target. It just, it always will be. It's it's a magnet that draws everybody in. And that the city learns to live with that. Yeah, we live with that. We live with that, you know, knowledge. I mean, at this point, and it's so still fresh in our mind, at least in my mind, that Mm -hmm. this could happen. I mean, we just, this was last a few days ago, there was that not you know yeah. yeah it's a weird subtext with living of living in the city at yeah. this point right yes yes, mm-hmm. yes and you have to shrug it off you have to you have to otherwise you never leave the house you know otherwise you don't do anything you never you never go out you might as well just you know kill yourself right now um and then you'd miss grilled cheeses and things. So <laughs> you miss the diners. You miss the diners and the stores that sell, you know, only sequins or treadmills or maybe sequined treadmills or something. And most of all, you'll miss the water bugs. Yes, yes. No, they'll probably like survive everything. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your book. Yeah, we well, are. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. We are, we are totally honored. Thank you and have a great New York week. Well, thank you and you too. <laughs> thank you. You too. Thanks. We've been speaking with Roz Chast, the author of Going Into Town, A Love Letter to New York, among other books and cartoons in The New Yorker. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was wonderful. That was so much fun. She's... She is just as much fun in person as you might expect. <laughs> oh, just exactly. She's down to earth. She's We had a total blast talking to her. So thank you, Roz Chas, for appearing on the show. And we want to thank you, listener, for listening to the Barry Boys in 2017. We have a stupendous year planned for 2018. And Janu- she says modestly. <laughs> and January is going to be one of our greatest months ever 
On top of a couple special surprises we have planned, we also have our 250th episode mm. uh, that's going to land right in the middle of the month. But what will it be, dear listener? Well, you'll just have to wait a few weeks to find out. But thank you for being with us throughout 2017. Uh, we couldn't have made it through without you. We also could not have made it without our fantastic intern turned assistant, Kieran Gannon, who now helps us with editing the show and does a fantastic job. Thank you, Kieran. And a big hearty thank you to our patrons who have joined us on patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Greg and I are about to sit down and record our special year in review show where we go back through many of the 28 episodes that we've taped. Oh, now I guess it's 29. 29. To share some insider information about those shows, about the researching, about the recording, and about things that happened to us and to New York over the course of 2017. So to get that extra audio, that should be a very fun show. We're looking forward to recording it. If you'd like to hear that show, just support us on patreon.com slash Boys. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Boys. We'll be traveling over the holidays, so there won't be a new show next week, but use that as an opportunity to jump into that back catalog because there's dozens and dozens of shows and perhaps some that you haven't heard, and uh, you'll find a gem or two in there, I hope. And probably last time you looked at your Bowery Boys feed, there weren't as many available, but we've made nearly all of them available. And yes, Greg and I will both be traveling. He'll be in Virginia. I'll be in Ohio. That means a lot of time in cars, and you might be spending a lot of time in cars as well. You may also want to check out the Bowery Boys spinoff podcast, The First, Stories of Inventions and Their Consequences. The brand new episode, which will be coming out this week, is actually on the first highway, the first cross-country road. So that is literally synced to your holiday drive, I hope. You have no excuse (laughs) but to listen to The Bowery Boys and The First. So have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Ever been to Delaware? If not, now is the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com.